0: There's a statistic I heard not long ago, listening to the radio. It said 4% of millennials can answer basic Bible questions. 10% of everyone else walking around can answer basic Bible questions. We can look at that two ways. A lot of despair, oh no. These millennials running around, less than one out of every 10 I meet basically godless or worse, or a lot of opportunity for all of us to meet people that don't know anything about the God that we serve or the book that we hold in our hand, the one we all got in our lap, puts a lot of responsibility on us, uh, to be ready when the time does come, when we meet one of these people from time to time uh, in in our everyday life. Uh, the reality is, is we need to be ready to talk to these folks about what we believe and why we believe it. And I hadn't I don't know know as if I've ever taught a, a lesson like this where we'll only read four verses today. You know, it'll be a um, kind of looking, stepping back, and trying to equip ourselves. And it, you know, the purpose of this for me is to equip myself to. Uh, to be ready to have that conversation of just, hey, this is, in general, what this book is about and really uh, why I do what I do. Um, So, you know, if you start out at the basics of it, uh, you know, this is, we call it the Holy Bible. If you think of just the name Holy, that's set apart and unique. And then Bible means book, so it's a unique book, Uh, just in the very basics of it. uh, The book that we hold is very unique. It's a collection of 66 books written by 40 authors over a span of about 1,500 years. Um, And all these individual books tell one story, one bigger story, but each book gives us a smaller piece of that story. Um, The book tells us who we are, where we came from, what we're to be doing, why we're here, and where we're going when this life is over. Uh, so it answers, you know, really the the important questions of life is what this book gives us. It answers all those questions for us. Um, and overall, you know, if you if I was to sum it up, I would say it's the story of a relationship between God and man. And that's really the sum of it, in my mind at least. And, and maybe there's some better ways to put it, but It's the story of that, of my relationship with God and God's relationship to me and how all these things came to be and how they are today and what these things will be, you know, in the end. And so I want to start from the beginning. We'll start in the book of Genesis. Uh like I say you can turn there but we're not not gonna read any verses. Uh but uh we're gonna start there and I just I just wanna kinda march us through and and kinda you know this could be done in a lot of different ways i'm not going to claim to have done put this together in the best way uh the best thing to do is to stay for yourself and figure out what pieces of that puzzle you want to bring in and emphasize because you can't cover all of it uh, this, uh kenzie told me yesterday boy you've been typing for a while and <laughs> it's been about 40 minutes and i said well i guess i hope i talk faster than i type uh, so you know you can Shorten it up, and I, I'm going to give us a little bitty short version, of what I would call the short version, and this didn't originate with me, but um, this idea of just looking at Genesis and Revelation and tying all these things together. You know, you never know how much time you're going to have with that person that doesn't know anything. How much time are they going to give you? They can give you five minutes, they can give you 30 minutes. I, I don't know. Uh, but we'll kind of get both of those. So, like I say, we'll start in the book of Genesis. And Genesis is where we find the creation story we learn of how this world came to be everything we see, the trees, the stars everything we don't see beyond those stars, those were all created in Genesis Um, so that's where we all start from then we learn of where we came from us being created in the image of God, we're separate from everything else that God created there Uh, he made us in in his image and so we learn where we came from Uh, and then we we get the story of man being Adam and Eve, living in the garden um, with this perfect relationship with God. And they had one command from God. And what was that command? That command was not to eat of the tree in the midst of the garden. And then what does man do? Uh, Man sins against God by eating of that tree in the midst of the garden. Um, And this results in man getting thrown out of the garden. So here we learn that sin, this going against God, separates us from God, or separates man from God. So it separates Adam and Eve from God. And so therefore we see the severing of that relationship between God and man. And if you will turn, this will be the, the four or five verses we do read. Revelations chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. So in Genesis we see this perfect relationship in the garden uh, between God and man. And if you look at the first Five verses of Revelation 22. Of course, this is John speaking here. Of course, if you're talking to someone who knows nothing about the Bible, you just have to tell them to turn to the end of it. But in Revelation 22, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of his street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were of the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. They shall there shall be no night there; they need no lamp nor light of the sun, nor the Lord, for the Lord gives them the, gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. So here we see the the tree of life here in in the garden, and this is the end. You know, this is when all the, the all the servants are there. Uh, you know, when we sing the song when. Uh, when we all get to heaven. You know, this is that, that picture there. So this is the bringing back of that relationship that was severed in Genesis, the, the sin that was there. This is how it's all put back together in the end. Um, so there's your short version, you know, for, a, for someone that gives you, gives you five minutes. and Maybe you can add a few other things in there better, better than I have this morning. But well, let's think back to the book of Genesis and let's continue this story. So after Adam and Eve are thrown out of the garden, Uh, they're told to multiply. And so we see man uh, multiplying and and becoming greater in number and they become more and more evil to the point that the thought of their heart is continually evil uh, in the days of Noah. Uh, And we see there that God destroys the world with water except for Noah and his family. Only eight souls are saved out of that, that destroying of of this world by water. Uh, And we see God start over there with Noah. And then the next, the next main character we get to in the book of Genesis is Abraham. A man that's full of faith. A man that we uh, look up to even today. You know, that we reference and that we um, strive to be like Abraham in his faith. Uh, and so do the New Testament writers. They reference him a lot. He's, he's maybe uh, one of the most referenced characters of the Old Testament. Uh, and you see the, even the Israelites of Jesus' day taking great pride in being the sons of Abraham. You know, So we see we see this character Abraham pick up here. And what does God do? He makes three promises to him. He tells him he's going to give him a nation, a land, and a seed. And by that seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So here's where we kind of see the first glimpse of Jesus right here. Um, where uh, we see that, that through the seed of Abraham, all the nations would be blessed. These um, promises were made to Abraham when he still didn't have any children. Uh, him and his wife were both both old, and these promises were made to him at this time, uh, but as, as time goes on for Abraham, Abraham has a son Isaac, and then to Isaac is born Jacob, uh, who is also called Israel, and through Jacob we get the uh, twelve tribes of Israel, his twelve sons, and one of his sons is Joseph, and Joseph is sold into slavery by his other brothers, uh, his brothers sell him into slavery, and eventually he winds up becoming the second in command in Egypt, uh, which we all know that God has his hand in everything. So Joseph being made second command in Egypt allowed for the delivering of his own family, uh, his family that sold him into slavery through a famine that comes. They have to come to Egypt to, to buy grain. And then so what does Joseph do? He brings all of his family to Egypt and they, and they stay in Egypt. And then uh, Joseph's family uh, the, the, uh, you know I guess essentially what would be known as the, the children of Israel become a mighty nation while they're in Egypt. And the Egyptians become basically scared of them at this time, and they make them slaves. And so now we have, um, you know, from Abraham down to uh, Joseph and, and that family, Joseph is dead. And uh, now the descendants of Joseph and the 12 sons of, of Jacob are now living in Egypt. And they become a people of roughly 2 million. And about this time, God raises up Moses, uh, a man that would deliver uh, God's people from Egypt. And he's also the man that delivers God's first law uh, to his people um, through his hand at Mount Sinai. And that's where we find the book of Leviticus, Deuteronomy. And then we wind up with the exodus of the the, uh, people of Israel leaving Egypt. Uh, hence the word Exodus. And so now we have a defined people with a defined law, and what do we call that? We call that a nation. So here we have the first promise to Abraham being fulfilled uh, at this time. And so now we have a people with a law, but they need a land. So God tells the, uh, the Israelites under the hand of Moses to, that they're going to go take the land of Canaan. Uh, and what do they do? They, the 12 tribes... Send a spy from each tribe, and those spies go into the land. And what do they do? They come back, and ten of them say, We can't take the land. We can't take the land. So they convince the people that they couldn't take the land. And the only two uh, faithful spies, as we would know, them, would be uh, Caleb and Joshua. Um, so the spies come back, and them convincing of the people that they can't take the land by their unbelief, they wander in the wilderness. That generation wanders in the wilderness till they're dead. Uh, for 40 years, so that was their punishment for the unbelief in God that they could take the land. And once that generation is dead in the wilderness, uh, Moses is then waning out his leadership, and who's he give it to? Joshua, one of the tw- one of the 12 spies that originally went in, one of the only two that are left, him and Joshua and Caleb. And so Joshua leads the people uh, into conquering the land of Canaan. Uh, and so Joshua leads that conquest. And so now we have a people uh, with a law and a land. So now we have the first and second promise to Abraham being fulfilled at this point in time uh, when they take the land. And so we see the, the people of Israel follow God under the leadership of Joshua and uh, all the generation of the elders that outlived Joshua. So all the elders <coughs> excuse me, that lived in the day of Joshua... And after that generation dies, we see a generation that arose that did not know God, didn't follow His ways, didn't know His ways. So that brings us to the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, we see the cycle of the Israelites uh, doing evil in the sight of God, them suffering by the hands of their enemies like He told them they would if they didn't obey Him. And they cry out for God for deliverance. And God raises up a judge uh, to deliver them from the people around them. And this cycle continues through through Samuel. Uh, and then while Samuel is judging Israel, what's Israel do? They beg for a king. So this brings us into the into the period of the United Kingdom uh, with Saul being their first king. And so God gives them a king, King Saul, uh, of their own choosing. Saul followed God for a little while, and then he turns away uh, from God and does whatever he wants to do. And so God... Um, Kicks Saul out of being uh, his king, and what's he do? He raises up David, uh, a man that that uh, we are very familiar with, a, a key character in the Bible. He raises up King David, uh, a man after God's own heart, to rule his people. And David is is one of the uh, the first, at least I, I think he's one of the first that really prophesies uh, about Jesus and the coming of Jesus, the one that we. Um, we call Emmanuel. He he prophesies of him, uh, and there's great peace and prosperity under the kingdom of David when he's when he's ruling he, uh, Israel. There's great uh, peace and prosperity under his rule, and then we come to uh, David's son Solomon who rules over Israel. Uh, and here again, we have a great time of peace and prosperity under him as well. And Solomon is the one that that builds the temple uh, where the Israelites worship God. Uh, this was the key place of worship for the Jews, and Solomon is also the wisest man to live, um, and that's where we get the books of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Those come from him. What we know as the wisdom literature. The period, you know, as I've said already, the period of the time of Saul, David, and Solomon is the United Kingdom, is what we refer to as that. Uh, but after Solomon is where we see the kingdom split, where we have the northern and southern kingdoms, where we have Judah and Israel. Uh, And so this is the period of time we know as the divided kingdom. There's multiple kings uh, that that come through here. Israel has no righteous kings. Uh, That would be the the northern, uh, I guess, uh, northern kingdom. They have no righteous kings, and they go farther and further away from God. And Judah would have some righteous and some unrighteous kings. Uh, But our focus would be on Judah because we know that's where uh, Emmanuel, the one prophesied, will come from. And both Judah and Israel have prophets sent to them uh, urging them to repent and turn away from their evil doings so that they could be delivered. Uh, These prophets also prophesy of Jesus uh, as well. And so we see that Judah and Israel become more and more wicked. And we see Israel taken captive by the Assyrians and Judah by the Babylonians. And then um, from there we have Uh, What we know is the 400 years of silence, this gap between uh, the prophets and then the New Testament. And when we open the pages of the New Testament, uh, we see what's been prophesied of throughout the Old Testament. The prophecies of the one uh, that we've been referencing that would be called Emmanuel, the story of the one that would be the Savior of Israel and the Savior of the world. Uh, The story of... Uh, Emmanuel would be the one we call Jesus, recorded in the Gospels and that would be Matthew, Mark, Luke and John that's where we, uh, we get that story from the lineage uh, from his lineage to his birth to his life, to his teachings his death, his resurrection and ascension is all uh, recorded there and they tell us of this establishment of the new kingdom, uh, the new kingdom that, that he would set up that would uh, extend throughout the time that we're in today And here we see Jesus is the fulfillment of the third um, promise made to Abraham that all the people of the earth would be blessed through him. And so therefore we see that fulfillment there. And we also see that that Jesus can save anyone that will submit to him and and do his will and be a part of his new kingdom, of Jesus' kingdom. This is a, you know, this would be a time that I would, you know, at least a natural place in my mind to stop and kind of think about all that we've talked about up to now. All of the things that have been done, you know, we see that severing relationship in Genesis, and all of the things that have been done in order to bring about Jesus, who would be the person that pieces that relationship back together. The only way that we can be back with God is through Jesus. So, all of these things coming back together, but all these things God's done to make that happen, I and mean, think about the love. Uh, that has been shown up to this point, uh, especially in, in the giving of His Son, uh, to die on that cruel cross that we uh, talked about and, and remembered this morning. Uh, but to you know, stop and dwell on that, uh, there's a lot to take in. in. This new kingdom that we've talked about is the church, uh, the church that they... uh, Jesus established when He was here. And we see that church begin in the book of Acts. Uh, really in Acts chapter 2 where this church began. Uh, and we see uh, in the book of Acts uh, how to be a, a part of that kingdom, of that church, who can be a part of it, and uh, what that church is to be doing. Uh, what are the things that we are to do? In the letters to the churches, um, even give us further insight into what God's people are to do, not only individually, uh, but collectively. So you look at the books of the Corinthians, uh, for instance, about uh, what what God's church was doing then and, and the things we're to be doing now. And, you know, if you're in a conversation with someone uh, about about this, you might ask them, is this um, what you're familiar with? Either, you know, maybe, these, maybe the person you're talking to does go to church somewhere or has been at some point in time. Is this what... Uh, they're doing where you go to church, and uh, if not, why not? You know, uh, this is what the early Christians were doing. This is what uh, the teachers of, of Jesus told us to be, told them to be doing. Don't you think that's what we ought to be doing? And a good time, you know, for us today to step back and ask ourselves the same question: of what Are what we doing, uh, what they were doing, uh, what God would have them to do, would be the same as what He would have us to do? And if you look through the New Testament, you see multiple letters to the churches. Um, and they, you know, for instance, the Galatians and Ephesian letter. You see a lot of instructions there uh, like for individual and collective uh, things that we're supposed to be doing. The New Testament also has letters like 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John to warn of, of false teachers that might uh, come in among us. And then we come to the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation can be summed up, in my mind, at least, of, of the victory. It comes through Jesus uh, the victory that we have there and you know it's kind of a this is kind of a long drawn-out explanation of, of what uh, this book is but you know it could really be summed up like this uh, Jesus is coming Jesus is here and Jesus will be back so you know if you if you think about it in the most simplistic terms uh, all the way from from the beginning of this promise to Abraham to David, prophesying of His coming, to the prophets prophesying of His coming. Jesus is coming. That's what all that's about. Jesus is coming to put that relationship back together. And then in the Gospels, Jesus is here. Who was Jesus? This is telling us who He was. And He's here. And the rest of it, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for that day of judgment. And are you ready for that return of Jesus would be the question I would have um, for myself or whoever I was talking to is, are are you ready for that? Because he is coming back to judge, uh, to judge us, and to see if we were doing uh, what we're supposed to be doing. As we talked about about the Corinthian letters and these other letters in the New Testament that tell us what the citizens of this new kingdom that God, that Jesus established, uh, were doing. Am I doing those same same things? So, um, are we ready for that return? That's a you know a good. Um, question to ask ourselves even. So that's really all I had this morning Uh, I hope uh, that kind of helps you in some way think about uh, the story of the Bible and and, uh, how we can be ready to talk to others about that I know Stephen will be talking uh, about the 17 time periods which is a way to break down even further uh, and probably better than the way I did this morning um, how to reference in our own minds and, be, and be, have those things in our minds and be ready uh, to, to talk to others about God. And even, uh, you know, it, it, it helps to be able to know what, how to piece all these things together, you know, even in our own minds. You know, that, that's very helpful. Um, I hope you gained something this morning uh, from, from what we've talked about. Uh, I know it's been a very beneficial study for myself uh, and trying to make sure I, under, I understand what all these things mean and how they're all pieced together and uh, the love that, that has been shown on all our behalf uh, to bring us to this point today. Um, and here again, I ask the question, are you ready for the return of Jesus? Uh, and if you aren't, we'd ask that you would uh, make any of those things right this morning. Uh, and We'll help you and assist you in any way while we can stand and sing. So I'm